so he knows you. And now we'll see that he is with you. Father, we thank you again for your word. We come to it, Lord, with open hearts. Lord, have your way in us, God. In Jesus' name. So I have a son, and so I can see all of your faces. I'm going to come around the side. I have a son who is now 20 years old, but he was 16 years old when we went on vacation to Tennessee, and we decided to take the whole family with us, which for us, um, the whole family is like 30 people, right? So um, there's eight of us plus a fiance at the time, and then my sister's family, she also has six kids. There's a lot of, of kids. So anyway, we're hiking. We decided we're going to go hike to this waterfall, and the 16-year-olds decided they knew where they were going, and they went off ahead. We're thinking, okay, it's okay. We can't see them, but surely they will get to this waterfall where we will then meet up with them and ask them to please wait with us as we walk back. Um, no self-service, of course, in the mountains, so we couldn't get a hold of them. Um, so we get to the waterfall, and they are not there. Panic ensues. The fathers decide to run off into the mountainous forest to find these boys who had disappeared. Um, it was insanity. I probably have not been that scared in my entire life because it was starting to get dark at this point, and we did not have any clue, and we had no contact with the boys who walked off. We then walk, my sister and I, all of the children down the mountain uh, to get to our car and hopefully hear news of our child. Well, miraculously, somebody finally got a, received a phone call from my son. They're just fine. They made their way. They didn't find the waterfall because they made a wrong turn, but they found this little village where this lady had welcomed them in with Wi-Fi and candy, oh right? So we drive to go pick them up. I am still, I'm fuming mad. I am also terrified. Everything in me is just, you know, on high alert. So we get there, and my son opens the car door. <laughs> hey, guys, isn't this just the funniest thing? And my oldest son knows me well. He goes, <laughs> and I launched into this wonderful speech, I wish I had it recorded, <laughs> about, you know, caring about your family and all, anyway. He was lost, right? But that was something he did. It was his fault. He decided to go ahead. He decided to march on and forge his own path. He got himself into that situation and put us all in this situation we didn't want to be in. It didn't cross my mind at the time that the Lord was with him and knew where he was. I was in such a panic. I didn't, I didn't even think. I mean, of course, I was praying, but I'm just picturing bears coming and eating them in the middle of the night, them having to build a fort, you know, for protection to sleep while the park rangers are trying to find them. This was where my mind was going at that time. So that was one time Micah got lost. Micah gets lost a lot. Um, <laughs> But there were two times when it was my fault, and I put him in a situation that he didn't want to be in. 
And they both involved him disappearing while we were, he was in the restroom while we were leaving a place. So one of them was a restaurant, one of them was church. Thank God, church people, you know, family. So they, they just took him, they, we got him, we're fine. But the other time, we didn't know where Michael was. And finally, and he didn't have a phone. My teenagers don't have phones till they are driving. Um, so he, uh, we couldn't get a hold of him. We finally just found out Michael was in the bathroom. And he was just standing there waiting for us when we got back. You know, so first time he was lost, I mean, not the first time, that was actually like the fifth or sixth time he was ever lost, but that first story, <laughs> poor Micah, we lose Micah a lot, um, he, he kind of put himself in that situation. The, the other times, those were not his fault, that was our fault. Um, and sometimes we find ourselves in both kinds of places, don't we? Some where we've just made a mess, and other times when other people have made a mess, or just life, right? Life happens, we live in a fallen world, and we end up in situations that we didn't want to be in, but the good news is that in all of those places, God is there with us, and he never leaves us, and we are never alone. So, verse 7 now, after talking about how well-known he is by God, David now talks about the presence of God. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? There are two things happening here. One is a running away, a fleeing. One is just a walking through life type of thing. Where can I go? Where can I run from your presence? That word presence means face, simply put. It just means face. Where can I go from your face? And when you think about God's face, his presence there with you, it's his full attention. His eyes, his face are turned toward you. You know, I am present in this room, but I'm not present with you because I can only look at one of you at a time in the face, right? God is not like that. God is in this room, but his face is looking toward each of you as an individual. No matter where you're going, even if you try to run away, his presence will always be there and his face will always be toward you. His presence means that you have his full attention. Even when you try to hide in the closet to eat the chocolate all alone. <laughs> His presence is still there. He knows exactly what you're doing. But his attention is always on you. you. There is never a time when God is not paying attention. You know, we don't pay attention. We have short attention spans. Sometimes we're even fighting for attention from people. But we never have to beg for God's attention. This, this must have blessed David's socks off because his one heart's desire was to be in the presence of God. We read throughout the Psalms that he's written about just him wanting to be near the Lord or asking God to be near him. In Psalm 27, 4, this is very familiar to you. He says, one thing I've desired of the Lord and that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He just wanted to live where God was. 
In Psalm 84, verse 10, he says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather stand in the doorway and hold the door for people to come in, since David wasn't even allowed in to that holy place where God's presence was physically, right? He just wanted to stand in the doorway and let other people come in rather than to have a nice cushy tent with wicked. David longed to be in the presence of God. You know, their situation was very different than ours is. In order to be with God, to experience his presence in that way, they had to be priests. And then only once a year could they go into that Holy of Holies where God was, right? So they were desperate to know. When we went to Israel, how many of you have been to Israel? A lot of you. And you've been to the Wailing Wall, right? And what are they doing there, those, those Israelites? They're getting up on the wall, and they're pressing their faces on it. And they're putting, they're rolling up their prayers, and they're putting it in to the cracks of the wall because God's presence is on the other side of that wall there, right, to them. They can't get to him. He's in there. And they're not allowed to go. And so that's the closest they can get. And you just see the weeping and the crying and the pressing of the face. We don't have to do that. We have God's presence with us all the time. Jesus died so that God, Emmanuel, God with us, God came near to us so that we could experience his presence. His Holy Spirit was sent to be in you now. You are now that temple. You know, his presence dwells inside of you. You always have, (coughs) pardon me. You always have his full attention. You don't ever have to beg for God's attention. Your theatrics are not necessary. His face is always turned towards you. You know, if you, I have children, obviously, and um, they always, you know, mom, 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 mom. And even if I answer them, they still mom, mom. And I'm, okay, you know, okay. And sometimes, though, sometimes you want their attention and they don't want to give it. And so what do you do? You get down and you say, okay, look at me. See my eyes, all right. You know, you get down on their level and you, and you come to them and you, have, you kind of have to make them look at you. You know, none of that is necessary with God. I don't have to be like, okay, God, now look at me. Eyes on me. No, his eyes are always on you. You never have to worry about that. His presence is with you at all times. What a beautiful and comforting thought that, that there is nothing you can do to get away from that. There's nowhere to hide. Um, verses 8 and 9, we're going to do those together. <coughs> if I ascend into heaven... You are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, thank you, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. I'm sorry. Yes, I did it right. Never mind. Water distracted me. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the, other, in the uttermost parts of the sea. So where is God? He's everywhere. You know, if you are making your way upward and on your way up to heaven, he's going to be there. 
if you want to go ahead and make your bed in hell, that the Sheol, the place of the dead, that he is there also. His presence is going to be there with you no matter where you find yourself or where you send yourself. Behold, even there, you know, even in hell, Lord, even in that place of darkness, you're even going to be there with me. Even if I do it on purpose, you're still going to be there. Yes, yes, he is. The wings of the morning, if I ride as fast as I can on the sunrise all the way to the east, you're there in the uttermost sea, all the way westward, you are there. You are there no matter which direction I go. Up, down, east, west, light, dark. You're there everywhere. No matter which extreme place I find myself in, his face is still toward me, and he's still with me. He is toward you at all times. You know, oftentimes you wonder, Lord, here I am, and I did this to myself. You hear the Lord helps those who help themselves, and we know that is not true. That is a lie. We cannot help ourselves. That is what's true, right? Only God can do that. He's with you no matter what. He does not leave you. Your position in Christ does not change. No matter what you decide you're going to do, he's still going to be for you. He's still going to be with you. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord There is nothing that's going to separate you from his presence. There's nothing that's going to take you away from his love. There's nothing that's going to turn his face away from you. He's always going to be there with you. Verse 10 says, even there, even there, your hand hand shall lead me and your right hand It shall hold me. Even there, Lord, there's no place you can go and no circumstance you find yourself in where God is not there with you, where he's not leading you, not guiding you, and not holding on to you. Even in that darkness, darkest place, when it talks about the uttermost sea, that's that's the darkness there. It's the the darkest place of the sea, the place where nobody wants to go, right? It's the opposite way of the land. It's darkness. Have you ever been on a cruise ship or anywhere and when you can see water at night? It's just blackness, isn't it? Dark, dark, dark depths that you can't imagine. And, and And it's, God, are you even there in that place? Even in the darkest place, even in the deepest night, even when you're carried away by things that are out of your control, And even when you've got yourself into that situation, even there, he leads you, he guides you and instructs you, and he holds you, he embraces you. He's got you in his arms. 
I think of two extreme situations, extreme situations, extreme situations in scripture. Two guys, very different stories, but they both start with J. Um, the first one is Jonah. Jonah. Jonah is a confusing man because he's a prophet of God. He, he heard the voice of God, and his job was to deliver the word of God to the people. Yet he was not very gracious. God asked him to do something he did not want to do. Have you ever had God do that? And you say, excuse me? I don't think so, God. I do not want to do that. And God asked Jonah to preach a word of repentance to the Ninevites. And Jonah truly hated the Ninevites. They were not deserving. They, he wanted God's wrath to come upon those people. And so what does Jonah do? He decides to take the furthest boat from Nineveh that he possibly can, thinking, God's going to tell me to do this? Well, no, I'm not. Not only am I not going to do it, but I'm going to go in the opposite direction as far away as I can get. But God said, nope, I'm still with you. I still see you. You haven't hidden from me, and you haven't gotten away from what I've asked you to do. So God sends a whale, right? He sends a storm and a whale to come, a fish, a big fish. We're going to be biblical. He sends a big fish, <laughs> a giant fish, to come and swallow him. And he's in there. God's presence is in there. He's, he's talking to God, you know. He's probably making all sorts of promises. But God is in there, and God sees him, and God says, nope, I'm going to take this fish, and I'm going to take you where I needed you to go in the first place. Let's see how this works out for you, right? Spits him out right where he needs to be. Jonah has no choice but to go and preach this word. He preaches the word to Nineveh. What does he do after that? He goes and sits still with that hard heart and watches for their destruction from high up. And while he's sitting there, God graciously provides a plant for him to come and give him shade while he's waiting. <laughs> right? Even there? Even there, Lord? You're with him even there? Yes. Still calling, still reaching. His attention is toward him. And he sends this to weed gets eaten up by a worm, and Jonah is whining. Oh, this weed. Why, God? Why did you let this weed die? It was giving me shade, and now I'm hot while I'm sitting here waiting for the destruction of the city. And God just, you're going to care more about this weed than you do about these people. And you know, Jonah, there is no there's no word or evidence that he ever repented of that. The only time we hear of him really is before that when he's giving a word. Um, but we don't hear anything about his later life. I have no idea what happened to Jonah. But I do know that God was still with him and God was still guiding him and leading him in all of that, in all of those places where he was. God still put him where he needed to be. He made choices, though, that made it worse for him, didn't it? But he still had to give the word. He still had to give in. The other Jane name is Joseph. Joseph is my favorite. That story has brought comfort to me many times in my life. But we see Joseph thrown into many circumstances that he did not choose. They were not his fault. He was just a good boy trying to do the right thing, 
right? And his brothers hated him, tried to sell him, throw him in a pit. He gets, you know, brought into slavery. He gets put in jail. He gets accused of trying to rape a woman. All of these things happened to him. But it says continually, the hand of God was on Joseph. The hand of God was on Joseph. And in all of those things, we got to see in that story the hand of God leading Joseph, putting him right where he needed him to be. And he ended up in being in a position to save his family because of it. What Satan what was meant for evil, God meant for good. Right? That story of Joseph where in this dark in the dark prison, things he didn't do the things he was accused of doing, yet there he was. God was even there. You know, God was there when he was promoted and given, you know, second in command in all of Egypt. God was there guiding him, leading him, his hand was holding him. Both of these things we see, you know things that were out of their control and things that were in their control. But in all of those things, God was there. His presence never left them, and he still guided them, even though sometimes they were stubborn. I am very stubborn. I'm the queen of stubborn. My husband is the king of stubborn. <laughs> but I think I win. I, I, that's not a good thing. <laughs> not a good thing but I you know I fight the Lord but he always brings me back into a place of submission (sighs) thank you Lord (laughs) both men were carried far from home for different reasons and both experienced adversity and trials yet both experienced God's faithful presence in their lives they both experienced his hand leading them and holding them though they both had different outcomes. Jesus knows who you are, and yet he still holds you. He still holds you. You're not wiggling out of his hand because he knows what you need better than you know, right? He leads me when I can walk, and he holds me when I can't. Years ago, I had my firstborn, my firstborn, and we wanted to have lots of children. As many children as God would give us, we wanted one for each month of the year so we could travel and stay with them. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I could not have another child. It just wasn't happening. And um, it had been five years, and I got pregnant. And... We were so excited. We told everybody. I quit children's ministry, you know, because I was going to be pregnant now. I don't know what the logic was there. But um, we lost the baby. We lost the baby at 12 weeks. And it turns out that he was a boy, and he had Down syndrome. And the nurse on the phone says to me, it was just God's natural selection. We named him Moses because my son Joel decided his name was Moses because he had, he had traveled to the promised land. Um, it was during that time, though, I had never dealt with anything like depression in my life. I, I did, just didn't really suffer with that. But this was the first time I'd ever experienced any sort of depression. I just was in a dark place and and. and 
it would come upon me suddenly and for no reason. I would just cry. I would weep. I would feel just that heaviness come upon me. And it was during that time that God led me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And I don't have it written down. If I try to turn to it, I won't get to it in time. But it says that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and join with him in the fellowship of his suffering. There is a sweetness to the fellowship that you have with the Lord in your suffering that you don't have in any other place. I do not wish suffering on anyone, but I do wish for you to experience that fellowship that comes from that intimacy of Jesus coming alongside and saying, I understand. I've been where you are. I've experienced everything you've experienced yet without sin. And I'm going to sit here with you and we're going to fellowship together in this. Jesus comes near in those times. His presence feels even closer during those times when you are in darkness, when things are out of your control and you don't know where to go. He is there. It was one of the most precious times of my life. There have been several since, fortunately and unfortunately. But the fellowship of his suffering has been most precious. I would not trade that for anything in the world. Verse 10 says, I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. Even the night shall be light about me. I say, I'm saying, not God is saying, not other people are saying, I'm saying, I can surely hide in some darkness. Now that word there means crushed to be crushed and bruised. That darkness is coming in and it's just gonna wipe you out. There is great fear here. It's you know, in declaring that the darkness is just gonna be too much and it's just gonna overwhelm me and it's gonna crush me. It's gonna fall on me, make me unseen. It's even the sense of hiding from God. Surely I can be in a place so dark that even God cannot be there or see me. But we know that's not true, is it? No. God makes light of the darkest night. Um, you know, he makes it so that you can see his face. It's, you don't see it in the darkness, but when he comes and shines that light, then you can see. You can see that he was always looking at you even in the darkness. Verse 12 says, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Darkness always tries to hide you from the Lord, but his light comes and exposes it. So you're feeling that crushing weight of darkness, or maybe you're trying to hide. Maybe you want to get away from the Lord. Maybe you don't want him to see you. Maybe you're being stubborn and saying, Lord, I know you want me to do this thing, but I don't want to do this thing. I cannot do this thing. So you hide, you run away, you escape, you go play a little silly game on your phone, or you watch TV, or you go into your room and go to sleep. You know, there's all these things 
we do. We go to social media. We try to live through other people's lives there. There are all these things that we do when we experience darkness rather than letting God light up the night and, sh and see so we can see his face. Darkness tries to hide us, but his light exposes it. We can try to hide away in shame. We can try to cover our sin in the shroud of night. We can try to hide our failures, but this only keeps us from fully experiencing a relationship with the Lord. Remember, the whole purpose is relationship. God wants you to know him because he knows you and he's with you. He's still there and he still sees he is light. We don't want to let that darkness keep us from experiencing him in his fullness. Don't try to hide. Remember that while we were still sinners, we just read that verse. While we were still sinners, he loved us and he died for our freedom so that we could be free from that crushing weight of darkness. <clears throat> First John 1 verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Are you struggling with sin? The call is come into the light. Are you struggling with finding true, meaningful friendships with other believers because you're so busy hiding? Come into the light is what this verse says. It's what Jesus says to us. Come into the light. I can get you all cleaned up. And then you don't have to wear the face. Can't wear it with him anyway, can you? I've written here in the Bible, because I'm supposed to open my Bible and actually turn to it. John, it always makes me nervous. I'm not going to find it. John chapter 3. My husband will do this. And it's in, da, 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 da. and as he's turning the pages, he's already quoting the verses. It always amazes me. John chapter 3, these are very first um, familiar verses to you. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds or evil. If you're feeling condemned, the call is come into the light. When we are feeling condemned, when we're feeling that separation from God, that sense that I can't go to him, I can't allow him to see me, 
I can't pray today. I can't encourage this sister today. I can't do the thing he's asked me to do today because I've, I've sinned too much today. <laughs> I haven't done all the right things today. That's condemnation. Condemnation always drives you away from God. It pushes you. It tells you, you can't come. But Jesus says here, I have not come to condemn you. I'm calling you to come close, to come into the light. Let the light shine on that darkness so that now you can be free. You can feel free to come to him. Jesus doesn't leave us alone to hide in the darkness. He calls us close and offers us help in our time of need. Hebrews 4.16 says that we're to come boldly to his throne of grace. Remember, his face is already turned toward you. He's sitting there, and, and of the 8 billion people on the planet, he's looking at each one, and you are completely laid bare in front of him. No matter how much darkness you try to heap into, no matter how crushing you feel of the weight of the darkness, he is there looking at you, shining. You are not hidden from him. He's with you there in that darkness, and he's saying, come, come to me. Let's come boldly to his throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He wants you to come to him when you are feeling that way rather than stay away. He's already there anyway. He already sees anyway. You might as well drag it to him and say, here it is, Lord. Oof. Here it is, Lord. You know, and he's looking at the pile. He's like, yeah, I know. I saw that. No big deal. I got mercy. I've got grace. It's all waiting here to help you. That's what it's for. Mercy. We're not going to get what we deserve. And grace, we're going to get what we don't deserve. That's what it's for. His presence in your life is a blessing because it means he's there with you, that he's there to bring help to you. You are not alone in this. He is right next to you wanting to walk with you through it. He's even going to carry you if you need him to. So there's that darkness of hiding and sin, but what about that crushing darkness, the bruising, crushing darkness that tries to destroy you? The crushing weight of grief, loss, sickness, crippling fear, maybe heartbreak or disappointment again. Even there, Lord? Even there? Yes. Even there. Even there, he's with you. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. In the Hebrew, those words are emphatic. I will not, I will not, I will not let you go. I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. He wants you to know he will never leave. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you are feeling broken and crushed, that is when he comes closest to you. That's when he is near. He just makes a beeline for you. I'm going to come right in there, and I'm going to be there with you. Your heart is crushed. I'm going to save you. 
Isaiah 42.3. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not snuff out. A few years ago, I was somewhere, and I heard Sandy Adams teach a message on this. And it was one of the most life-changing things for me because he was saying that reed, it's not standing anymore. It's bruised, and it's falling over, right? God's not going to look at that reed and go, ugh, useless reed, and just break it off. And then the smoking flax is that, you know, that fire that's just ready to go out, and it's going to burn out. It's dying, and God doesn't come and blow that out. Instead, what he does is he comes, and he binds up that reed, and he fans that flax, that fire that's going out into, into flame. He says Jesus himself comes and becomes that binding for you. In our weakness, we are as these bruised reeds and as this most smoking flax, but Jesus mends us and fans us to life. Allow Jesus to come and mend you. He becomes that binding for you. He loves you so much, and he sees all of that. He's not going to leave you there to just flap around in the breeze or, or just go out, you know, die. Your flame dies. Everything dies with it. He's going to come and be near to you, and he's going to mend you. He's going to fan that flame again. It won't be like this forever. It will not. There's always hope. He never, ever, ever leaves you. I'm going to read verse 13, even though it goes along with our next session. But it says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. You know, God's withness began with you before you were ever born, before your, your mother even knew you were there, he knew you were there. He was with you there. Your life began before you were born. And he was with you, carefully forming you in your mother's womb, overseeing everything that happened to you. His hand was directly involved in everything that makes you, you. He was with you then, and he never stopped being with you. There's never been a time when his face was not toward you. You are never, ever, ever alone. Joe Foch says, I've never been alone, and I'm yours in the deepest places. You belong to him. You are precious to him. His face, you know, you think about um, people that you love the most, right? You know, my family, my children, my close friends. And you pay so much attention to them, don't you? Because you just want to, you want to know them, you want to make them happy. Um, You study them, you know, oh, I know they like pink or their favorite thing is dark chocolate, salted caramel or whatever. We know all these details about people because we're paying attention, right? Maybe they don't even know we're paying attention. I've been surprised so many times uh, by gifts when someone just was paying attention 
and found out I liked something, and then they show up with it. And I'm just, <gasps> you know, oh, I can't believe they did that. How did they even know? And I think, you know, we take for granted the fact that God is that for us, that he He's way better than any person on the planet. He, he's the creator of the universe. He's the king of heaven. He's the almighty God. He, but he pays attention to you. You know, I was thinking about all the saints of old, you know, Adam and Eve, um, Abraham, Moses, you know, Isaac, Jacob, all, all of those guys, you know, the prophets, and then thinking of John the Baptist, thinking of Paul, Peter, the disciples, thinking of these great men and women of God, you know. And he was paying attention to them. Of course he was. Of course he was paying attention to them, right? He was paying just as much attention to you as he was to them. He has just as many plans for you as he did for them. He's just as with you, guiding you, holding you as he was with them. You are precious to him. From the, from be, the moment you were conceived, even before that, he knew you were coming and he made plans for you. Take comfort in that thought when you are in the dark places. And don't forget when you're in the light. Do not forget when you are in the light. Some of you are just, your life is great right now. And you're thinking, I just praise you, Lord. Don't forget that, though. Don't forget he's still with you. You have that because of him. Don't forget him. He doesn't forget you. His face is always toward you, and he's calling you to come near. He's calling you to relationship with him all the time. Come into the light. And we are going to end early. We're going to pray. God, thank you so much that your face is toward each one of us that you know every heart here, you know every struggle, you know every triumph, yet you see and you care and you guide and you lead and you're with. You never, ever, ever leave us. God, we thank you for your presence. Help us to be aware of your presence in our life. Help us to remember you. Help us to walk in the light as you are. In Jesus' name, amen.